0: To celebrate, Sincerely, Cecilia, reaching 200,000 followers. wow. I'm giving all of my friends 50% off my new bespoke non-allergenic therapy robes. Needed
1: this to Brand, world needs more people
0: like you. Sissy? Oh my God, it's you. How's it been, like 12 years? You remember me, right? Yeah.
2: I just can't picture myself without her.
0: I was thinking about you the other day, and and now here you are. You should come to my hen's weekend. See them, die. (laughs) So what's your thing? Are you like a
1: model? (laughs) No, definitely not. She's an influencer.
0: An influencer? Well. I'm um, more like a mental health advocate. I'm sorry, but I can't help but find it all a little bit ironic. Once upon a time, she lost her mind and she tried to murder me. I'm not a sissy! Of all people, sissy is preaching mental health. Cecilia, what are you? Rebranding? When we form a circle around ourselves, yes. we are reminded that we carry with us an invisible boundary. No one enters but us. It's our very own safe space. And we never,
2: ever have to leave
0: it. Hey friends, Cecilia is not as sincere as you think she is.
3: I am loved. I am special.
2: I am enough. to be me and Emma. That was supposed to be us. Stop the car. I am doing my best. Stop the car.
1: That's the trailer for Sissy. Hello and welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast. My name is Matthew Eels. Australian filmmakers do a lot of things right, but one thing they do exceptionally well is horror. Not only do Australian horror films like Wolf Creek, The Loved Ones, The Babadook, and timeless classics like Razorback and Long Weekend have a lasting impact at home, overseas audiences love them as well. With Sissy, a new horror icon is born, one who I think deserves to join the likes of Mick Taylor and The Babadook as one of the country's great horror villains. This villain could never be accused of being boring or cookie cutter. She's batshit crazy, brutal, and pure evil. In this episode, I'm joined by the two people who gave birth to Sissy, Hannah Barlow and Kane Scenes. Hannah and Kane co-wrote and co-directed the film, and Hannah also stars in the film as one of the lead characters, Emma. The film follows social media influencer Sissy, who is invited away on a hen's weekend with some old school friends. Little does she know she will be stuck in a remote cabin with her high school bully. Hannah and Kane have been making movies for a while now. Most recently the two made the independent mumblecore for now. This is a deep dive into the making of Sissy, so obviously there are going to be some plot spoilers, but listeners should know that when we do discuss the ending of the film, uh, I do warn you when to switch off. Sissy recently screened at South by Southwest in Texas, followed by screenings at the Sydney Film Festival. On July 7, Sissy will open the Revelation Perth International Film Festival, followed by a general release later in the year. If you're in Perth, head over to revelationfilmfestival.org to find out more about that screening. Anyway, enjoy. Hannah and Kane, thank you very much for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. It's great to have you with us.
0: Thank you for having us. Yeah,
3: thanks for having us.
1: No worries. Hey, um, I haven't had this much fun with an Australian movie in years and uh, it seems strange to say that I had fun during such a twisted, bloody and violent movie But I've been a gore hound since my dad first showed me Evil Dead when I was about seven or eight. So I love witnessing the birth of a new horror icon. And I believe that sissy is certainly that. Um, Congratulations (laughs) on this one. I think this film's going to go a long way.
3: Oh, that's that's very cool. Uh, just for you to even mention the, the evil dead uh, in, in, the, in the same sentence is all we need for our day. So thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> there
1: you go. Um, it's funny because I thought about this film for days after and every time I said sissy in my head, I followed it up with, sorry, Cecilia. It, it, it's Cecilia. Um, <laughs> but I guess we can get into uh, that side of the film soon. Um, uh, CC had its world premiere at South by Southwest back in March, Uh, were you two able to attend?
0: Yeah we were, we were very fortunate to go and see the film premiere on opening night over there uh, for the horror section, The Midnighters, and it was just an amazing life experience.
3: Yeah and I think think because um, it was the first time back in person in three years uh for South by because I I think that what when COVID originally hit in March or something they were one of the first festivals to shut down Mm -hmm. um, or to not be in person so there was definitely a real good energy um like a real buzz I think of gratitude for everyone to be there at the festival um so that was kind of like the best case scenario I think for us really we got very lucky with that that kind of energy in the crowd
1: Mm. And it's a big deal to be accepted into South by Southwest. I mean, that's huge for an Australian film. And um, Hannah, what was the experience like for you? Uh,
0: I mean, I was jumping up and down when I found out about it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, uh, I, I think I embarrassed myself in front of my students because <laughs> <laughs> I teach um, screen uh, filmmaking. So yes. yeah, I don't know, you, you work really, really hard for a very long time, you know, I've been wanting something like this to happen since I was at NIDA as an actor. And uh, I kind of fell into filmmaking when I started collaborating with Kane. So I never expected to kind of be showing a film at South By uh, or Sydney Film Festival or Perth Revelation, you know, um, ever. So yeah. I'm just excited. Yeah.
1: Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. So you found out in front of your students uh, halfway through a class? Yes, I yeah. did. <laughs>
0: Um, and I may have shed a tear and then apologised to my students. <laughs> and, um, and,
1: and what was their reaction like? Because I find children to be uh, so funny. You know, I've got kids of my own and I interview all of these, you know, these big filmmakers and, uh, you know, American actors and stuff like that, and they just don't seem to care. It's like, oh, yeah, good on your dad, or whatever. You know, what? what were, how did the uh, students react to you?
0: Uh, well, I, they're, they're teenagers so right. a few of them understood what it meant yes. um, but also a few of them didn't so I feel like they were looking at me like I was a crazy person <laughs> because obviously you never see your teacher emote but I yes. just couldn't help it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the ones that understood what it meant because they follow film festivals, they were, they were jumping up and down with me and have been very supportive ever since.
1: Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Lovely to hear. Um, yeah. So uh, when once you had screened it to an audience, uh, do you feel like you got all of the nerves out of the way then and there? Or are you more nervous to screen it to a local Australian audience than you were to, to an American audience?
0: I don't know about you, Kane, but I am definitely way more nervous to show it to, like, our hometown and, and other parts of Australia Um yeah
3: yeah there's definitely it's different it's different isn't it with your hometown crowd um because these are all the people that have known about this thing you're working on for you know two plus years well at least a heavy contingent of um the the home crowd uh will be people that um have heard about it from us in some way shape or form so um, you know it's a bit different when you go to Austin for example no one really knows about the movie it's like you're kind of breaking it to the world right there yeah. um, and so there's a there's kind of like a less to lose in a way um, but I think at this point it's really all gravy like I, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm just happy that we're able to have a really good festival premiere in our hometown you know I mean um, uh, that, that's something that we're really grateful for yeah that's that 's going to be huge
1: it 's going to be so exciting over there i 'm um, based in perth so i'm I'm looking forward to seeing the film at Rev uh, once it screens here i think it 's opening night actually, so there should be a real yeah. buzz in the air about it but yeah. um, I, I was just thinking uh, a film like Wolf Creek probably um, change the landscape of, the, of Australian horror genre forever. And I feel like every time a new horror film comes out, it's going to be compared to Wolf Creek. You know, is it better than Wolf Creek? Is it worse than Wolf Creek? Is that something that's on your mind?
3: Um, to be honest, not really. Like, I mean, I remember, you know, we, as Australian horror fans, we obviously, you know, kind of always take mental note of those um those films that kind of break through, whether it be the Bubba Duke or you know Wolf Creek or the loved or the Loved, the loved Ones, ones yes. or, or Hounds of Love, you know all all these kinds of recent ones. And I I don't think we ever really thought necessarily of those films. I mean, maybe the Loved Ones was a much closer comp for us than say Wolf Creek, just just in terms of tone. Because I would definitely say, even though you know Wolf Creek has its moments, I would definitely say we're a little more um comedically minded. Yeah um a little more kind of of a satire than probably a straight horror mm-hmm. um but hey man like i'll i'll share that same <laughs> row in the video shop in the sky seeing as video shops don't <laughs> exist anymore unfortunately, i'll definitely sit proudly next to wolf creek i mean yeah <laughs> yeah um there's no shame in that at all i don't um,
2: think
0: we ever thought we'd be you know in the same realm as as wolf creek so you know
3: and you know i don't think we are i mean there's a long way to go i mean wolf wolf creek what came out in 05 or something yes. yeah so you know it stood the test of time it's had a sequel it's had all that and yeah. i mean you know uh jack jack uh jack jarrett, yeah. uh, john, john, jarrett. John, john, john jarrett's a bit of a kind of staple icon so yes. yeah um obviously greg greg mclean's gone on to have a great great career too so like you know, uh, 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 as a very early comp, we'll take it, but I think, I think we have a long way to go to kind of earn that. Yes, that's a, that's a great
1: answer. Um, <laughs> now, I remember back in 2017 covering this uh, micro-indie called For Now, and uh, that was yeah. written, directed and, and starring yourselves. Um, but I want to go back further than that for a moment. I'd love to know a bit more about your filmmaking partnership and, and how you two met and decided to make movies together.
0: Sure. Uh, Let me turn my memory on. Uh, So I had just graduated from NIDA's acting program and I did a little trip over to the States and met Kane who had just was just about to do post-production or in the midst of it on his first film Echoes of War which he made in Austin, Texas. Um, So that's a very different film kind of like a uh, thriller family thriller war drama um, western western yeah. you know in the style of Terrence Malick uh, which was beautiful and you know we we fell in love um, as partners and then we were both just in LA trying to break through over there and We heard a speech by the Duplass brothers, which is essentially the cavalry isn't coming. So don't wait for the industry to discover you, you know, go out there and make stuff on a micro budget. And that's what we ended up doing. We did a Kickstarter campaign for For Now and we shot our film in seven days, travelling the... Pacific Coast Highway of California from LA to San Fran. We played ourselves, we cast My Real Life Brother and we just did a, a sort of experimental art house mumblecore movie about, you know, comparison anxiety.
3: And what it's like to be in your 20s. And, yeah, and, yeah.
0: and um, dislocation and si- sibling rivalry and all of that. Um, mm. And we, after making that film and kind of pu- pushing that ship up that hill, which was a lot of hard work. We discovered that we loved working together, and so we decided to move back to Australia and write our first screenplay together, which ended up being sissy.
3: Well, yeah, for for now, was you know was probably what like a kind of twenty page treatment or something where we improvised all the all the dialogue. Mm. So, like, it had the scene orders and things, but not necessarily um, what would happen between the actors in the scene. So that that's where it was kind of experimental. Mm-hmm. Um, Sissy was our first kind of, like, let's write a proper genre script and watch a shit ton of movies and actually kind of understand how this genre works, you know?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. So,
0: yeah, sorry. So, no, no, continue. Oh, I was just, just going to say, like, Sissy was another test for us to see if we could do this and, and we really we really enjoy working together.
1: Yeah, yeah that, that's great. So, so following uh, For Now, um, you know, you've obviously been working on Sissy in that time, but what doors, if any, were open for you following For Now and, and how did that filmmaking experience change you both as filmmakers?
3: Well, I think, I mean, it changed us as filmmakers in the sense that, you know... Um, I had just come off of Echoes of War, which, you know, we shot um, on 35 mil film in four weeks. It it wasn't by any means a luxurious production at all. I mean, it was definitely um, lower budget uh, than um, Sissy is, was, but it was still kind of made in a traditional way. Way meaning, like, we had a proper film crew, we had proper locations.
0: Can I just um, interject and say that Micah Mine is one of the stars, Reese Wakefield, yeah, Mike... Ethan Embry, and um, James Badgedale? So, he had a pretty star started cast, yeah. Yes.
3: So, it, it was a really cool cast, you know, with like a lot of um actors that I grew up watching. Um, so, so it definitely was a kind of proper production run through Hollywood agencies and all of that kind of stuff, but it was very indie, mm-hmm. um. I would say that when it came to for now, and Hannah was like, let's just raise some money online. I said, absolutely not. I refuse to shoot on a di- digital camera. We need at least a couple million dollars. And I, I never uh, in a million years thought we could go make a movie for t- 20 grand. And um, so that really changed my mind. And I started being like, wow, the Arri X is an amazing camera. We can just do 20 minute takes and it still looks great. And. Um, That definitely kind of put the power, I think, back in my hands in a way and made me realize that um, there's a lot of, I don't know, um, there's a lot of power in a sense as a writer-director to understand how the film is made from top down. And even though for now it was a very small production, it was really just us, like it was us doing everything. Um, It gave me a lot more appreciation in a way um, for what I had maybe taken for granted with the previous film. And which we kind of got to have again now on this one in the sense that Sissy is a proper production and a decent-sized budget. And um, I would say the doors it opened was, I mean, probably the most obvious one was showing it to Lisa Short- Shaughnessy at Arcadia yes. um, and and, uh, um, and at Alexandra Burke. And they basically kind of, yeah, they we screened it for them and they said, yeah, great. Look, we love your script. Let's... Um, Let's get going on this. And then COVID was something that just kind of expedited things and I think made us uh, a production that was a little more contained and easier to make than some of the other ones that they had maybe kind of uh, been developing for longer. Yeah. So it kind of was a nice entry point to um, Australia and mm-hmm. also to a couple of companies here. And luckily we kind of got off and running quite, quite smoothly and quickly, I think.
1: Mm. Um, Hannah, because Kane did have that uh, previous film under his belt, were you learning uh, a lot from Kane uh, as a filmmaker? Absolutely.
0: I feel like Kane has been, it's been, it's a wonderful thing to be a partner with someone who can mentor you. Um, So I didn't have to go to film school. I'm kind of like learning on the job as we go. Um, Yeah, that's awesome. That's (laughs) awesome. Yeah, I'm mm. a big fan of Kane, uh, and he's a great teacher.
3: Oh so. God! I would definitely, I would just, I'll just interject here and say it's not like I mean, yes, sure, um, maybe, maybe I'm running Hannah through what different lens sizes do and things like that, and maybe like the three act structures of the script. But a lot of um, the advantage of working with Hannah has has been that kind of. Um, I wouldn't say like a naivety, but just like a kind of openness that anything is possible and that's something that has has breathed a whole lot more life into the way I conceive of stories um the way I conceive of like you know the flow of a film how it can look how it can sound um what kind of characters can be on the page and on the screen and I think Hannah kind of just brought a whole like I mean Sissy obviously like just the story the whole idea that it's about kind of um female friendships like that's nothing that I would have come up with in a million years so so you know, I think we kind of meet in the middle in a really great way in terms of like um, Hannah brings a lot of kind of um, idea of story and character and you know just kind of visual um, visual I don't know ideas flair whatever you call it and and then I kind of come with like a lot of just kind of like the ABCs nuts and bolts of filmmaking and yes. running a set and stuff like that
2: yeah.
3: and. Um, and just kind of references from films and then and then we'll kind of meet in the middle and I'll, I'll get to watch a lot of these, these old films again that that, w- that we kind of studied at film school and Hannah is sometimes seeing them for the first time or a se- second time, but just being able to revisit them myself and for us to have that conversation, it just always re-inspires and it's, it's been totally different. It's been to- it's very much a different experience I think to when I kind of was a, a solo director.
1: Yes, yeah. Uh, anything else you'd like to add to that, Hannah?
0: I think. Uh, th- thank you, Kane. Sorry, I feel like
3: I <laughs> had a question. I just couldn't sit here idly and let you and let you heap praise on me.
0: <laughs> well, I just, yeah, I don't know, Kane's. Um, uh, I'm going to butter your bread now, but Kane's drive and tenacity to be a filmmaker, I think, is also a huge force in our collaboration. You know, he doesn't give up, yeah. and um, that's a, a huge factor. So. Excellent.
1: <laughs> Yeah. Um, so let's talk about this wonderful psychedelic neon horror that you've created here. Um, it truly is a gem that I can't wait to watch again with an audience. Um, wow. the, this film explores many themes from you know, our social media obsessed society to bullying, both online and physical, uh, to mental illness and everything in between. Can you talk to us about some of those themes I just mentioned and, and why you were so uh, keen to explore them on screen?
0: Yeah, you go, you go ahead. Uh,
3: I mean, I'm just thinking back to what the earliest conversations were. I mean, it was probably about, you know, thinking about what scares us today because we basically decided let's make a horror film. That's mm-hmm. something I think that was an early conversation or something we both wanted to do. Um, it was something that, you know, uh, if you look at maybe like the very end of Echoes of War, there's a bit of a kind of stalk and slash kind of element, but I, I'd never really done a horror film and Hannah had acted in some horror material um a series and a short film and some other stuff. And so basically we kind of had always tiptoed around it. So that's something that we wanted to do. So then we kind of talked about well what what scares us. Um, and I think just just the online world at the time. Um, this was uh, 2018. This this was 2018, you know, Trump, uh, Trump was in power. There, there was just a lot of uncertainty and fear in the world, which has probably only become exacerbated now. Um, but definitely back then, I mean, in many ways it felt like what Are we doing, you know, like we're not paying attention to anything that's important in the world, we're just looking at our screens and looking at how many likes we've gotten for something. And then, the great kind of irony of the whole thing is that the thing we need most from the insanity of the world is some kind of mental health, but then you've got this kind of like this bastardization of mental health online as well. And is that, is that kind of helping or is that just um, breeding a monster? You know, it's, it, it's a complex uh, thing. Um, Hannah and I have very kind of always been into the idea of mental health and therapy and just kind of learning more about yourself and um, we've always just kind of felt like you know you see like uh, the Miss, Miss Miss World pageants or whatever and they always stand there and go well, I, I wish for world peace mm-hmm. I think like if we had one wish it's that like therapy was mandatory for every human in the world I yeah. think we wouldn't have the issues that we have mm-hmm. and so we thought it was something ironic about um Um, just kind of, I guess, knowing some people that are big kind of mental health advocates online but don't necessarily practice what they preach. Like
0: Belle Gibson, you know?
3: Yes. Not not that we know Belle, but... No,
0: but an iconic Australian con artist who hoodwinked one of the most vulnerable communities in Australia. Like, that is a tragedy but inherently funny, the irony of that. Um, And so we were responding to that at the time uh, and also, you know, our general fears around being online and um you know worshipping false idols and what they're prophetizing and who can slip through the cracks with like the world's most powerful tools that was invented since like the wheel um you know how are we engaging with it and what are going to be the ramifications for us on our mental health and socially as millennials and gen Z grow up Mm -hmm. so there's that big like you know, macro look at the themes, but then there's also the micro, which is personal, which is about um, the ramifications of childhood bullying long-term and also how we as individuals, it's our responsibility to take accountability for our actions and behaviour and to not to continue to victimise ourselves by not addressing core traumas. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was kind of like an introspective Uh, looking at oneself responding to something at the time when we were writing the film, like how we villainize people who hurt us Mm. Um, and really it's our job to take on our own feelings and be responsible, Uh, that's the only way forward, right? Um, Yes.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, I read a disturbing article recently about the decline of of young women participating in sport um, because of their fear of being judged on social media. Um, that's a true horror story in another sense of the word. Um, so I'm, one, I'm wondering what kind of research you both did while while developing Sissy and if you came across any any similar stories like that.
3: Well, I mean, I remember the Bell, Bell Gibson thing, which you've already talked about. That, that, that was something that we kind of stuck in our pitch deck um, from very early on. Um, there were definitely some other things like that. There were, uh, I can't remember the exact names now, but we were reading about kind of certain con artists would swindle people out of whether it be kind of money or whatever and just just the idea of kind of um using social media as a facade like the way that that everyone gets kind of spam from someone you're like that photo is not the real person that's like some some 25 year old model that they're using to get you to click on something it's probably some 50 year old dude who's um stalking you so like just that whole kind of scary nature of being online in terms of, I I haven't, I haven't come across that sports thing. That, that's interesting. Doesn't surprise me. That
0: be a great yeah. movie that there's yeah. an idea. Um, I think there was, I can't remember which pre- uh, outlet it was. It might've been Forbes or it could have been um, Huffington Post, I think did a really big article on uh, millennials and the ramifications of social media usage on mental health. Mm. Um, and also just the general um, anxiety and fear that millennials and Gen Zs face. I remember that was like a huge interactive um, piece at the time. Mm-hmm. But when we were writing Sissy in like over 2018 and 2019, there wasn't a lot of stuff being spoken about um, that we're trying to address in in the in the film. Mm-hmm. Like Instagram was still this like worshipped. Uh, tool for influencers and the effects on our mental health like that Netflix doc- documentary that came out that only started to come out in like 2019 2020 mm. just as COVID
3: hit oh, so the, the, the social dilemma yeah the yeah. social
0: dilemma that's right yeah. um yeah so
3: and and also you know just things like I mean I have five nieces you know yes. that kind of <laughs> at that time ranged in age from about 10 or 11 up to say 20 something so you know Oh uh, or up, uh, yeah. So so I kind of I I was constantly kind of just talking to them about who they follow and things like that and kind of look because I'm I am i am not really on Instagram. And so it was one of those things where it was like like I'm on it now to to promote the film. Yes. A,
2: Which I'm, is hypocritical, such, you I'm know. Such, <laughs>
3: I'm, such, I'm such a hypocrite in a way. Uh, but you know, it 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 totally disgusts me. But uh <laughs> But um, I had to get some kind of idea of what, you know, kids um, kind of like who they look up to and, and and then just that idea of like, well, OK, if you if you think this person's so great, like where did they come from? Who put them there? Mm-hmm. Did they, was there any kind of qualifications? Were they chosen by anything? You know, at least like say if you worship an actor or an athlete, like they, they've they had to go through some kind yes. of process or system to get where they are. Mm. Um, that's not necessarily a, a bad thing. It's very empowering to be able to kind of build yourself out of nothing with just a phone. Yeah. Um, so I definitely don't want to say it's kind of like a black or white issue, but um, I would say just, just kind of engaging with my nieces was also a form of research, you know, and, mm. and that kind of opened up doors being like, Oh, I'm going to look up this person and look up that influencer and, it just blew my mind because I felt like in in those few years that I'd been off Instagram, it had just gone completely nuts.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting how quickly young people are to sell themselves out as well. I mean, uh, TikTok and Instagram in particular, quite often you'll be sitting there watching a video or looking at a photo. And then the next minute you notice in the caption ad, you know, hashtag ad, you know, they've sold themselves out so quickly without researching the companies that they're actually promoting. Um, You know, when I was younger, you'd call that a sell, you'd call that person a sellout and, You know, we looked at it differently when we were younger, but nowadays everyone's so willing to sell themselves out so quickly.
0: Yeah, they're so proud of it. It's really dangerous. It's quite scary, like, how willing young people are to hand over their identity to giant companies that do not protect them.
3: Yes. Yeah. That's... They, almost
0: evil <laughs> they
3: they would make that trade in a heartbeat they yeah. kind of like i'll i'll give you a hundred thousand followers if you sell your soul <laughs> because it's a
0: source of pride like it's a real accomplishment you know just yeah. the way that like achieving what it's has taken us 10 15 years to achieve is an accomplishment for our generation for them it's like oh you made a movie whatever i've got like a two million dollar campaign with a giant um know makeup brands yeah it's
3: like it's like making money in your sleep you know you put on one post and you earn 80 grand or whatever and similarly
0: like like conversely power to them because it is a genuine avenue for a giant career so Mm. Uh,
1: i want to get into the mental health side of it in a moment but um uh we'll lighten it up a little bit here and talk a bit about horror and the horror genre um, I've interviewed a lot of filmmakers over the years and, and when I ask the question, you know, what horror films influenced you as filmmakers, I quite often get the same list of films, uh, Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th and, and uh, usually The Exorcist as well. I know the question is a bit of a cliche, but what horror films had a lasting impact on you both and, and did you use any, uh, you know, while or did you reference any while writing the uh, sissy script?
3: Well, I would say just kind of when we realised that what we were writing was a slasher. I mean, obviously, it's pretty hard to not think of Halloween um, and Friday the thir- 13th and whatnot. Um, um, so, you know, those films, like like I remember, like I sat down and I think over the course of a week or something, I watched all Friday the 13th um, films just just uh, while we were gearing up for pre, just because just I, I kind of wanted to get in that real zone of what it felt like to put out these movies once a year in the eighties and (laughs) everyone just going gonzo for them. And, and so I, so, you know, those definitely were inspiration, but I would definitely say like story-wise what we were trying to do with, um, I guess, without giving too much away, but just the idea of, you know, your protagonist um, maybe being an antagonist, maybe not. uh, Mm -hmm. That kind of concept came a lot from Carrie Uh, Brian De Palma was um, a filmmaker I think we probably well one of the ones we probably talked about the most just Mm. in general whether it just be visual aesthetic or um, not necessarily just his kind of quote-unquote horror films but um, I mean there were quite a few I mean I we've always been uh, like we what are some of the ones that we talk about the most? I mean, it's, it's it's kind of a bit of a mixed bag because we equally talked as much about like Paul Thomas Anderson and how he shoots his films. <laughs>
0: Well, I think you know we have said this quite a bit now, but the North Star for the movie, which I believe is a social horror, yeah, is Muriel's wedding, which like, is obviously not a
3: horror, but horror. The, but yes. it, it, the concept was always like, what if that was a horror? But
0: if you think about it, Muriel yes. is a detestable character. <laughs> Some really horrific things happen. Her mum yes. kills herself, yeah. like shoves her head in the oven, like, and <laughs> the father does not take any accountability for it. Muriel turns into a monster. Yes and um Rachel Griffiths
1: is paralyzed paralyzed yeah. like
0: there's a lot of really dark stuff in there and we. oh all- my
1: god you've just blown my mind here <laughs> <laughs> you've ruined but- Muriel's wedding for me now
0: <laughs> it's like you remember growing up and just every Friday night it was playing on like channel seven or yes, channel yeah. nine or one of them and and yeah. you're like Ugh. and the, you, you know I got sick of it growing up and then we revisited it and we're like this is the key to our movie this yeah. is This is like one of the greatest films ever made about what it is like to be a woman with comparison anxiety. Yes. Um, So that and then also uh, we'd already written Sissy but Ingrid Goes West was a big influence um, because again, if if Ingrid had started killing... the people she was worshiping at the halfway point, you know, we wouldn't have been able to make Sissy because it would have been too similar.
3: And and at the time, it was really one of the only things we could watch that kind of was a good film that dealt um, with social media, like just the way that they handle the montage scenes of all the kind of screen content. Um, That was, uh, I feel like in the few years since we started to write it, this kind of glut of, you know, social media films came out. But at the time it really was Ingrid Goes West and maybe a couple others like there was like um there was like Skype horrors and things right like unfriended or not but 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 just in in terms of a kind of classically told narrative um about a character and and also the way she kind of turns into a bit of an antagonist as well
0: and then also like uh this we weren't I don't think we watched it at the time but my favorite movie that I saw when I was five which is really problematic is Robert Zemeckis' Death Becomes Her and we re-watched that the other night and we were like wow there's we have borrowed so much from this like the gleeful gore mm. of Sissy is very tonally similar to Death Becomes Her and mm-hmm. another film of Zemeckis' is What Lies Beneath mm. and I love that movie even yes. though it's more of a thriller than a horror but mm. that's a big one for me.
3: I would definitely yeah I would definitely say um uh, the Death Becomes Her thing was, you know, it was very much just in the DNA, I think, of kind of how we bonded over, like what we wanted this film to be. Um, not self-serious, um, just as as much fun as it is kind of gross out or scary. Um, I remember like, I don't know, like the night before we shot uh, um, one of those night scenes where there's some kind of lightning, like like it's a storm. That was just a last minute ad because we kind of remembered how Zemeckis always has like blue, blue, <laughs> blue lightning in his movies. It's know?
0: comical and like we're it's, very influenced by comic books, not just like superhero Marvel, but yes, yes that just, sensibility just yeah. the
3: medium in general of a graphic novel like like the way it clearly kind of um like you the know camp
0: fun of it all
3: just yes. just the way yes. it's laid out on the page yeah yes just, it,
1: it's uh the cinematography is very much framed like a, a comic book panel as well and uh that, that's that's a question that i've got for you in a moment when we do talk about the cinematography um we might as well stick with the horror questions uh, before i move on to other things um the film's gory and, and in my books, anytime you see a close-up shot of a head popping while it's being run over by a car tie is, is a genuine horror film. Um, how far did you want to push the horror and violence in, in Sissy? Because you really
3: don't hold back at all here. I think, yeah, I think for us it was always just fun. It was always like, let's do Evil let's do Cronenberg let's you know this um, is what the
0: audience wants right it's gleeful you're gonna gonna serve a horror audience give them something to like cackle over
3: why not yes yes. and and I think I think as soon as we kind of I don't know wrote somewhere on the page like uh uh that that a head explodes or something it kind of it, it never felt um scary to us it always felt like like for us that that makes us laugh <laughs> we have a kind of twisted sense of hu- humor I imagine you sick son right. of a bitch no. <laughs> yes
0: that's it we are so
3: you know it, it was kind of like it was kind of like what is the most ridiculous way that this you know um social media influencer who's kind of you know totally out of her depth here like what is the most ridiculous way that she could get even with and, and I don't want to give anything away but like mm-hmm. what kind of deaths in a script like this which is or which 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 is basically Muriel's way wedding like if you you were watching Muriel's wedding and she suddenly just turned around and like I I, I, like put like a drill through one of those those basic bitches heads like Like, (laughs)
0: choked them out with a bunch of curls you know (laughs) like
3: like you would be like wow what movie are we in right now and I think I think those are the kinds of films whether it be like Sam Raimi movies or you know like we talked about um uh Kind of giallo yeah. movies, especially as well for like those kind of old Italian sixties films, like the original Sus- Suspiria, girl with a uh, bird, bird with a C- crystal plumage. Like you're watching these films and they're obviously so gorgeously kind of colored and things in terms of like the the neon kind of color scape of all but then suddenly there's gore and it's just it feels so exploitative it feels like the camera is gazing into this hole that that like that that's just been formed by an axe on someone's chest and it's just kind of like let's see how much like fake looking blood we can spray onto the lens it's kind of taking um it's enjoying it and it's a lot of fun i think if you take that stuff too seriously then it's just like the total wrong movie it's, it's like
0: it's, antichrist you know which is trying to achieve a completely different thing
3: yes which we love just as much and antichrist um weirdly enough was a reference for us especially mm-hmm. the whole idea of kind of going to some place in the woods um which is obviously a kind of well-used trope and the mental
0: horror of,
2: of yeah
3: uh, grief yeah, yeah the mental horror of grief and being remote and all that but so you know like at the end of the day it's like what's your sense of humor like not everyone is going to like the same stand-up comedian you know it it really just um that's what film is and I think it's kind of it's like funny sometimes you you kind of hear it from like your parents or something being like when are you going to make a family film or when are you going to make (laughs) something that we can go to and I'm like look maybe one day like often you hear these directors and stuff they have kids and then suddenly they're interested in making a film for their kids but like Right now, it's like we got to make what appeals to us—the kind of stuff that we line up to go watch. And you know? we're
0: responding to the world right now, and the world is bonkers. So, yes. like, let's yeah. not pull back those punches or those champagne flute stabs. Let's, uh, yeah, let's make them bleed.
3: And yes. honestly, just just to answer your question as well, like, I think I think a big part of it was just, you know, like I feel like every time someone is giving you money to go make your own idea, it's kind of like an amazing chance to. Uh, do something that you've always wanted to do and one of those things was practical effect kind of gore and um, just the experience of being able to do like a mold of someone's head and explode it like that's there's just an art in that Um, and we kind of wanted to we wanted to go through the process of what that was like and
0: learning Mm. about you know practical effects
3: and yeah they're, they're so important yeah yeah and, and and they just don't get done a whole lot anymore and I no. feel like it's such a um I don't know like it's not easy and it takes a lot of time but it's kind of just a surefire way like you might only get one or two takes like we did but suddenly it just looks like something you're not seeing that often because everything is CGI these days and it, yeah. it, it's not necessarily harder to do especially when like the prosthetics person takes care of it and the boys,
0: the boys over at S- Scare Crew Studios are so talented, and we were so lucky to work with them. Yeah, Larry
3: and Ben, van dinoven and um, his guys, and and they were just our like like they were probably our well, we liked everyone that we worked with, but they were probably our favorite kind of team to hang, hang out with because they they would come to set and they'd they'd just be in the back for like maybe eight hours just waiting for their one <laughs> shot where we get one take at squashing this head or whatnot.
0: We destroy like months of work in one take. Yeah. <laughs> so-
1: <laughs> yeah. um, another interesting thing about about the horror side of this is that a big chunk of the film is set in in daylight, um, and it, it's quite rare to have uh, so much horror take place during the day. Uh, tell us about the decision to have uh, you know, to to have part of the film shot during the day.
0: I think it just naturally came about because of the the story that we wrote, so um, mm-hmm. it was just a natural byproduct. But you know, a lot of the horror is social, which happens yes. during the daytime, so. Yeah,
3: and I, th- I think I think it was just when we were writing, being like, "Look, like uh, this this kind of the, the group of friends has gone and left her at the house, and they've gone down to the watering hole or whatever in the mountains, so she's got to get over to them, and then um, this the the action from that point on essentially just takes place over that day and that night, so mm-hmm. all the kill scenes kind of take place in that twenty four hour period, so it's yeah. kind of like we had to space it out a little bit, just yeah. just just purely logistically." And then, so then you 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 kind of want to figure out a way to get tonight as fast as you can, um, but then also you go, well, it's not gonna happen. So let's think about maybe staging some scene in like the woods where it's yeah. a bit dappled lighting or on a cliff or something like that, where it's daytime, but at least it's got something kind of that's exciting. That's not just kind of um, regular daytime exterior, you know?
0: Plus night shoots yeah. make everything much harder, so.
3: Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to the Cinema Australia podcast
1: on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud or cinemaaustralia.com.au. Um, I, I want to talk about the mental health side of this film for a moment and once again, I'm a huge fan of this film. I can't stress that enough and I'm going to be stroking uh, Sissy as far and wide as I possibly can. But I guess one criticism uh, that I can see coming from this film is the way that mental health is portrayed here. I mean, not all people who suffer with uh, severe mental health issues uh, brought on by past traumas become murdering psychos. Uh, Do you you have a counter argument to that criticism if it is brought up uh, in the future?
0: Well, I think that, you know, because our film is so camp and horror and heightened, we're turning the dial up on a lot of core truths about Mm -hmm. mental health. You know, Mm -hmm. it is a metaphor for how far could someone go if they didn't actually genuinely work on their core traumas? Mm. Mm. And it's not a realistic, um, you know, it, it, it's it is a heightened film. So I don't think we have to honor mental health fully, like mm. across the spectrum. Mm. You know, we're not mocking any particular condition. I don't think we're trying to play any into any certain stereotypes uh, uh, around mental health. Um, we're just using Cecilia's mental breakdown um, as a vehicle to make a message about social media and also bullying and the ramifications of, of that long term.
3: Yeah, and like, and and I, it, it's something that we really took seriously, you know, like we, uh, like I said before, as kind of... Um, Fans of practicing mindfulness and kind of uh, good mental health as much as one can. Um, that was important to us. And we definitely didn't want to put this thing out that kind of said that uh, mental health or mental health advocacy online is always a bad thing mm. um, because that's it, just not true. Like, I would much rather my five young nieces uh, be on Instagram looking at mental health than the swimsuit models, right? Yes, yeah. um, uh, uh but um so you know that was something where we kind of said very early on that we're, we're not going to have the shot where she you know reaches into the medical cabinet and downs the pills or or she pours the pills out and now she's going off her pills like it it was never about kind of trying to diagnose her with something um because obviously if you look at kind of past films and these are some of the ones that we didn't talk about but things like single white female fatal attraction uh pretty much um you know any any kind of thriller in the 80s where the woman was the villain it was because she went off her meds and that's (laughs) that was something that we knew we couldn't do in this day and age and it's just it it's yeah it's kind of um it's it's like stigmatizing right but i would also say that we kind of tried to at least go to extents um say it like the dinner scene where the friends kind of counter her argument Mm -hmm. on mental health 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 advocacy and are actually like well Have you thought about the fact that maybe like you're not really qualified to do this, that they should be seeing a therapist for this? Um and so you know, like that is still very important. It's like if you have issues, you should go consult a professional and not just kind of take the advice of someone on Instagram. Having said that, sometimes you're, I don't know, a 15-year-old kid, you don't want to admit to anyone that that you're having these weird thoughts. You don't want to, um, you don't have access to a therapist, but you have access to your phone Mm -hmm. and to and to Instagram or TikTok or whatnot. And so you know, m- m- there, there is some stuff out there that might be very helpful to that person. Um, mm. and, I, and I would hope so. But I would definitely say it's, it's just, it's complex in that sense, but it is, it, it, I think it is an example of kind of like uh, what can go wrong yes. if you don't, like Hannah said, if you don't kind of address the issue in um, a professional way, mm. like don't just go kind of take advice from anybody who says that they're a mental health advocate. Yes.
2: Um,
3: um, But at the same time, you know, like just kind of showing, I think, in a way that uh, that uh, Cecilia, by doing what she does in terms of her her channel, that she actually can rack up all these thousands or these hundreds of thousands or millions of followers and that we do live in an era where a mental health advocate um, uh, can be uh, a large influencer. Mm -hmm. And I think I think just even in in a way, acknowledging that and discussing that, like that's more important, I think, than talking about like celebrity or or some reality TV star because it's like our concept of fame has always been kind of around that, has always mm-hmm. been around like how much money does this person make or how famous are they and there's plenty of those influences too, but I think I, I think it's relevant in a way to shed some light on mental health influences. Hopefully not all of them are evil. Not yes, evil. Yes. I, I wouldn't even say that anyone Cecilia is evil. Is not even I, evil. I wouldn't yeah. say that anyone is evil in the film. Um, and I think if Aisha was here, she'd give me a smack on the back of the head and say, don't judge Cecilia. <laughs> yes. I, I I ride or die with that home girl, you know? Well, that's uh, very
1: interesting because, uh, you know, the film does portray um as both, oh, sorry, Cecilia. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and, and, <laughs> <laughs> as both a victim and a villain here. And, and both my wife and I were on one side of that argument each. You know, my wife felt for Cecilia while I saw her as this cold-blooded killer who deserved everything she got. Um, how did you both see Cecilia at the end of all of this?
0: Well, I we root for her and yeah. she... I don't want to give anything away. I don't want to give the twist away or anything like that. But yeah. uh, I, I suppose we... She is both of us mm. and all of us mm-hmm. you know we all have the capacity to bully and victimize and take accountability and not to take accountability so i think that i root for cecilia because <laughs> she's doing horrible things but really she's stepping into her power yeah. mm. you know
2: yeah.
3: like at, right. at least at like like r- regardless whether you know the Uh, intentions or justifications are right or wrong or not it's like at at least she's becoming who she is meant to be Mm. and she's not kind of repressing it now you can obviously make the argument maybe like I said if she had just gone to therapy uh, maybe uh, things would have worked out differently Um, but you know I I think like look in the script we had some moments in the script where we kind of talked about how she was Creepy here, or she had some villainous smile, and yeah. and in a way, that's because you're trying to convey maybe an idea um,
2: and sell a script
3: uh, and sell a script. Right? Yes. Like it's still it's still got a. It's sometimes the, the complexities of the things that we're talking about don't necessarily jump off the page. Like there's a lot that Asia brings as an actor that makes her that that makes the character that way. Yeah. Um, that makes her as likable, you know.
2: Yeah.
3: Um. Uh. But on the page, there were definitely some things that might have still been judging her a little bit and. And I just remember very early on Aisha kind of saying, like, I just I don't like any of these moments where Cecilia is judged because I truly, really believe that everyone else in the film is are, are collectively kind of like the bad guys or the villains. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're the ones that are driving her to be this way. And yes, you you can make the argument that that's kind of like uh, a self victimizing mentality. Um, but uh, and I guess at that point, it's all about accountability. Like mm. if you're a villain who knows you're a villain and is proud of it, then in a way that's more redeemable in a movie. Mm. Um, I would definitely say Cecilia is kind of in the gray where you're not really sure kind of whether like like she's... She, she's she's kind of shirking responsibility throughout the film and that's, that's kind of the point. So like the whole self-victimizing thing, I think was a big angle um, yes. and something that we talked about a lot. Mm. Um, but also we had to kind of come around and understand that if she's our protagonist, as writers and as directors, we have to actually uh, put ourselves in her too. Like she can't just be this person we knew once or something and we're judging them or or getting even with them. It's not about like that might've been a motivation or an inspiration for the character in the first place. But then as soon as you cast that type of character in the lead, you need to find a humanity in them and you need to learn to understand them and and feel for them and connect yeah. with them and, yeah. and so then suddenly and not judge them and not yes. judge them and yeah, the same yeah.
0: that psychology tells us that we are we all have thousands of personalities existing existing in our head mm. and you know at a certain age a normal well a um, neurotypical brain I should say will merge all of those pers- uh, personalities to form our adult personality which mm. is consistent but we do fall into trances and are triggered all the time yes, you know yes, yeah. we're not our 30 year old selves or whatever age you are Matt.
1: Yes. Um, i'm 38
0: 30, 38 year old sure yeah. like when we're triggered by something that we haven't cleared and healed in our childhood we go right back into that 12 year old trance and mm. We can't judge Cecilia for going back to that 12-year-old trance. Right.
3: Because she was mercilessly bullied and that's... Mm. that's and that that's, was her
0: way of protecting herself back mm, then. Yeah, mm, and, yeah. you know, that that's the message of the film. Like, beware the things you haven't cleared... Yes. Or killed because they will they will manifest and fester and perhaps make your life harder and also lead to consequences for the people around you. And we don't want to be hurricane people, do we? So
1: no. <laughs> uh, we may be through with the past, but the past ain't through with us. That's exactly. right. <laughs> okay.
3: That's um, <laughs> hey, where where's where what film is that in? That's uh, Magnolia. Exactly. Oh, yes. How can I forget Magnolia? <laughs> we saw that. I saw that. Uh, I saw that at the Ritz during the PTA retrospective, uh, yeah, not too yeah. long ago. let mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. um, uh, Let's talk about this incredible cast you've assembled here. Uh, being from Perth, uh, I guess the first person I want to talk about is Daniel Monks. Uh, yeah. He's an incredible actor, and, and if you or anyone out there listening hasn't seen Pulse. Which Daniel wrote and starred in, uh, then you really, really must see it. Um, tell us a bit about working with Daniel and, and what he brings to a role like this.
0: Well, speaking of Pulse, I was actually cast by Daniel in Pulse. Right, right. Many, many years ago, we we met um, through friends as actors. I just graduated from NIDA. And I'd heard so much about him and what an incredible human being he is. And he asked me to, I think he saw a reel of mine and he asked me to, audition. we did this incredible audition. I, I got the role, but I couldn't do it. And I actually ended up going to America and that's when I met Kane. but it was a huge regret of mine that I didn't do that role because I really believed in that project and I'm a huge fan of it. It's beautiful. It's such a good film. He's,
3: he's so good in it as
0: he, well. He's a multifaceted artist. Um yeah. Him and Stevie, an incredible team. And, yeah, so I have maintained a friendship with Daniel through all these years. Um, And we wrote this role for him, and he was actually uh, a part of developing the role of Jamie throughout the whole process. Like, we would send him um, pages and he'd say, "Eh." you you could actually turn this up a little bit like he could be nastier the way that you kill him why don't we bec- like why don't we go further and make it more offensive you know so he gave us
3: like kind of gave us the permission to you know be a bit kind of i don't know um
0: make it uncomfortable
3: to just drag his character through the mud a little bit at the end. Yes. yeah um, and, and that was, yeah, so, so you, there was a lot of emails back and forth. And what ends up on screen is just such a small part of that. But it's all in there. It's all, it's all part of the process, what he brought in, all those discussions and pages of emails and long chats. And, and he
0: was really adamant about making Jamie the most unlikable character in that group. Yes. And I, yeah, I, yes. I honestly
2: think he is.
1: <laughs> he truly is. He truly is. Um, we could list off every actor and, and go into full details uh, about their role, but let's jump straight to Aisha, who plays Sissy. Um, this is an actor who seems capable of everything. And yeah. I can't remember the last time I saw an actor portray so many emotions and moods in one film. It's almost uh, Jim Carrey-esque, I guess, in you know her facial movements and, and stuff like that. Uh, she must have been a dream to work with. And I, I guess I shouldn't really assume that. But anyway... <laughs> Well, yeah. no, she,
3: look, Um, Aisha, Aisha's a good friend of ours. She's, um, um, she's flying in for Sydney Film Fest, which we're delighted by and we're going to hang out um, in the next couple of weeks. But um, look, she was a real collaborator. She was down in the trenches with us. If something wasn't working, it was often the three of us just huddling in a corner being like, how do we pull this off? Uh, we're running out of time today. We're going to lose a scene. How do we combine these two things? And she just always knew from her gut who Cecilia was and Sometimes you can have that experience with an actor and it's just not what you want. And so there's constantly like a tension there, or some, or you have to meet in the middle or something, or it's kind of a fight about all the decisions. Um, but with Asia, it was very much like she just instilled so much confidence in us that uh, her take on the character was the right way to go a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And so it was very easy for us in a way because we had such a lightning quick shoot and very little prep time um that we were able to like lean
0: on her professionalism and her talent she is just she's such a pro and she's bringing so much that you don't even see until you're watching the rushes and you're in the edit yeah i mean our editor margie hoy who's brilliant was just obsessed with her
3: it's just little things like just little decisions like i mean um you know when she's running after jamie um in the script it was like she's running you know full pelt and branches are whipping her and then she did this take, or she asked us first, she was like, look, I think like, is it cool if I do this where I'm a bit kind of stunned, like not sure if I should be chasing after him. So I'm kind of not going that fast. And I'm kind of a bit weirded out by being in the bush with all the b- bugs and I'm I'm tripping out on what I've just done. And I'm just a little loose. And we were like, okay, what does that look like? And when she did it, it was so comedic. It made all of us laugh. And we were like, hang <laughs> on, oh, that's literally like the complete opposite. Like she's running through there. Like she doesn't want to break a fingernail or something. You're mm-hmm. supposed to be sprinting and desperate for her life, right? But you don't think necessarily of those things when you're writing. And she was someone that kind of added this whole extra kind of likability to the character, this whole kind of um, sense of humor and kind of like she she felt very uh, responsible to Cecilia and portraying her uh, the right way. It, it wasn't that she ever played anything for laughs, but it was in embodying Cecilia in that way and feeling so... Um, connected, feeling so connected and such kind of empathy for her. Like that, if Cecilia was uh, like, like she would often say, I am Cecilia, (laughs) like, not all the, like, if you just if you just use the violence as a kind of metaphor, um, she really connected with her. And she, so I guess in just not having a lot of time to think and in just embodying the character like that, she would just kind of lean into her instincts and her instincts often brought this kind of level of, um, I don't know, comedy to it that kind of wasn't necessarily on the page just in terms of the, the way she'd say things yeah, or, or, she the, or her physicality was like, it was very physical, type performance as well
0: yeah she's quite an intuitive actor and and she also clearly has a dancing background because you if you watch her physical oh yeah quite fluid Mm -hmm. um and very in tune
3: and honestly mind you like we were really doing maybe like two takes Mm. yeah so she delivered
0: the whole performance in less than two takes. And also before we got into production during pre-production, she was in quarantine for like the second or third time. So she yeah. was stuck in a hotel room. A and she she always says that she credits that um kind of insanity.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so COVID. yeah, like
3: she she would send us these just these videos on her phone, like in selfie mode where she's practicing kind of Cecilia's posts on her Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. And we and we we just started to see the character come alive from those videos, and we got so excited.
1: Oh, how exciting! Wow. Uh, Do you still have those videos? Yeah, we do.
3: Feature or something. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. there's there's part of us that wanted to be like, let's put it in like the credits roll at the end. But they were so lo fi and it was just her in like her kind of shitty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think I think Cecilia by the end of the film um, has a kind of way bigger setup, and it looks a lot more glamorous than probably her quarantine hotel room background. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh,
1: Hannah, I want to ask you about uh, uh, acting and directing at the same time, though. What are some of the challenges of that?
0: Uh, well, if I didn't have Kane, who I, you know, I'm a huge fan of and, and lean on, um, it would have been tremendously difficult mm. in the space of time uh, that we had, which was 20 days, and also, you know, switching to a night shoot halfway through, which was just a, a mind... Boggle for everyone. Um, yeah, it would have been so hard, but Kane and I were a real team. We were able to come together every morning and every night and set the plan, and then come together when we, the plan deviated, which was often because of the constrictions of time. Um, but I, I got to experience directing in a different way to Kane. Mm. I got to be in the trenches with the actors, which was tremendously useful. And with makeup and costume department at the top of the day, I was in there, so I was talking to all of them, and that was useful um, because we could have two people directing different departments at once. Mm. So Yeah,
3: I'm, I'm not actually sure how we would have got through a two-week prep if there was only one of us. Like. Yes. We were literally double timing. So Hannah, like she said, would be doing like she'd just be picking the costumes. Like I, I just would trust her to pick the costumes, and meanwhile I'm doing like a camera test with cinematographer Steve in the other room. Like we were doing two things at once, and also
0: putting out fires and all of that stuff. You know, I I think that Kane's ability to handle a crew is amazing and. Uh, inspiring to me that's something that I am still growing into um, but I got to do the other thing that I love because of his tenacity and talent so mm-hmm. I got to act in front of the camera 80 percent of the time
3: yeah and I think I think what like with the next thing we do we've already talked about how you'd want like a lesser role
0: like maybe <laughs> maybe like those fabulous, like, like who cameo- was that cameo? Yes, <laughs> like,
3: yeah, <laughs> like, like a great, a great scene stealing thing, but like one scene, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like
0: I can get shot in the head, you know, yeah. like that, that kind of thing. But yeah,
3: yeah um,
0: yeah. I really enjoyed acting with Aisha and with the rest of the cast because it is really an ensemble performance, as it much really as it really is. Yeah. Aisha's, you know, role, um, yeah, I had a really, really fun time getting to wear many hats. Um, It was tiring. I wouldn't recommend it. But I think I
3: think I I think for such a kind of lightning quick uh, production just in terms of like people kind of arrived and hit the ground running and just it was like boom boom boom. So like to have Hannah be there with the actors all the time um, in between takes and things I think it probably uh, gave them a great kind of grounding and a lot of um, like it made a chaotic and look all fi- all film productions are crazy in some way. I'm mm. I'm not saying houses more so than any others, but it just just the nature of time and what we were trying to pull off on our budget and our schedule. Um, it was nice, I think, to and I felt very kind of relaxed just knowing that Hannah was taking care of the actors because you're like you, you usually in between cut like your first priority is always go talk to the actors make sure they're okay make sure they understand are we going again if we're going again uh why or what do they need like they they they're actors they need to kind like no one is necessarily talking to them there's people that are coming up to them that are doing things with their costume or with their hair Mm. so up to the director really kind of set a um space that feels like it's comfortable and safe for them to be vulnerable and crazy and so you, you know uh being able to have Hannah do that as an actor I think just kind of uh, like all the other actors would often say that 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 was kind of one of like the best things. The fact that they were acting with one of the directors, it it was a different experience for them, and it kind of, it kind of gave them like a lot of peace.
2: Wonderful. Um,
3: and yeah, and meanwhile, I'm I'm kind of running outside uh, trying to figure out why the, why the has been unplugged or something like <laughs> that. <laughs> Not giving yourself enough credit
0: there, but yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take
1: <laughs> um I've, I've got two more questions here before we wrap this up but uh, i guess another character in the film is the house itself uh, it's, it truly is an insta-worthy house <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> was, was that why you settled on such a grand home? Def- yeah. Um, yeah, yeah yeah
0: uh we were having real trouble finding that home mm. in pre-production you know in our 10 days or 11 days of pre-production um it moved so quickly and uh, you know there aren't a lot of houses like that in Canberra and uh, one of the first houses we found on the location scout a couple of months before pre was in Yas, and it's this beautiful architectural digest style home that's won awards and our our um, production designer Michael Price really fought for it. Yeah. He would not let their producers not take that
3: it 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 kind of came down to that in another house that was a lot closer it was like 10 minutes away from where we were set up um you know all this ample parking whatever like it was a much it was cheaper it was going to be a much easier house to work in and and he really was just like you know in 10 years you're going to look back and be like wow we got an extra you know half an hour shoot day every day uh while we shot in that house like you're gonna all that matters is what's on screen and so you know we I think we uh we lost about an hour of shoot day every day just getting the crew up and back to that house but so you know it was a sacrifice so suddenly you're going that house is now costing us maybe I don't know a a few extra setups per scene
0: but not only that dumping the load into the camera department Mm -hmm. um which is not it wasn't easy and our, our DOP was like this is going to make my job so much harder but he ultimately understood that that house meant a lot to that movie like it yes, is a character very
2: much, very yeah. much. and it,
0: and it creates you know the the power um imbalance between Cecilia and Alex like right yeah.
3: Like if, if if Cecilia, like she, she needs to be showing up at, at a full swanky pad that, you know, she could never afford Mm -hmm. uh, and therefore she's not going to be able to impress Emma in the way that Alex can. Yes. And so that was important. Um, Cause like in some of the early drafts of the script, um, it was like some Airbnb that they were renting and Alex was, you know, broke like everyone else. And it really, it, um, Thinking about, I remember one of the early notes we got was like, this house needs to be a bigger deal. It that can't... was
0: from Tanya Lambert.
3: Ta- Tanya Lambert, another great DOP in Australia. She she said, look, it, it doesn't make sense that it's just a boring Airbnb house because you've, you've, you've got this power divide. And that really stuck with us. And so we just kind of right then and there went, right, it's got to be a pretty cool place. Mm -hmm. Um, And that transformed
0: um, Alex's character, actually. So Tanya gave us like a really fantastic note. (laughs)
3: Yeah, and then suddenly it was like, yeah, Alex needs to act, this needs to be her house and Cecilia needs to be kind of stepping onto her turf. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's why I think you're right. Like that house does kind of carry more weight, I guess, than just a location for them to be staying at. Yeah. And what's the story behind the painting?
0: (laughs) That's a good question. So Girl Possessed by Paul Klee was a painting that I saw when I took myself to Europe. (laughs) Um, When I was 19, I'd saved up money my whole life and I took myself and I just wanted to go to the major art galleries um, on my own. And I saw this painting and it just completely captivated me. And I had it. Sitting above my desk uh, for many years. And then I, w- I just kind of made it the centerpiece while we were writing Sissy because I think it perfectly encapsulates Cecilia's sort of like possession, um, how how her brain uh, is when she's in that trance. And well, and
3: also, she's got this kind of hole where her in heart, her heart she, yeah, this yes, the yes. hole in her heart in the painting. And but so it's a,
0: it's a painting of um, Paul Klee's sister who was institutionalised at the time, I think I could be making that up. Right. Um, oh,
3: I, I think that's right, which yeah. pro- pro- probably institutionalised for stuff that she shouldn't have been locked away with just, just in terms of the way that so- society treated women back then, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. so um, we
0: really wanted to put it as, you know, the major Easter egg, I guess, in, in the film. The and real it paint- became a, 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 another thing.
3: Yeah, like the real painting, if you see the original one, it's what? It's like shoebox size? It's, it's quite It's high. like
0: yeah. a postcard. It's, it's, it's
3: bigger than a postcard, but it's... it's it's maybe, maybe like, like an A4 book, sheet of paper. A
2: song. book cover
0: or yeah, something. Right. Yeah, so, right.
3: so, you know, um, so Mike had to kind of blow blow that up and we just said, oh, look, it's behind glass. It's like, it, it, it could just be a fancy print, right? Yes. Yeah. So.
0: <laughs> and then, um, you know, eventually Seth Lani, who's the head of VFX on Sissy, ends up animating it and I don't want to give too much away, but yeah. he, we had a lot of fun figuring out
1: <laughs> how yeah. to
0: warp it <laughs> yeah. even further, yeah.
1: Oh, It's wonderful. Um, I've I've got a final question here and uh, I will put a spoiler warning at the beginning of this episode. uh, And I'm warning listeners again here. If you haven't seen Sissy, then maybe this is a great time to stop listening. Um, Ah. If you have seen it by the time you listen to this, then that's great. Um, But I guess I have to ask the obvious questions. Are you keen for a, a Sissy sequel? Because as I said at the start, I think you've birthed a new horror icon here that deserves a much longer life than just one film. (laughs)
0: Oh, that's very kind.
3: I mean, look, obviously we've thought about it and we've kind of got a little bit of a um, story in mind for what what would happen. Mm. Um, It's exciting to us in many ways. Uh, There's a lot that we kind of uh, uh, would be keen to play with. Um, not just because, you know, uh, like I think a sequel, if you're going to do a sequel to something, first of all, there has to be a demand uh, for it. Mm. Um, So we'll kind of wait and see. There's nothing, nothing, no, no talk of it as of yet. Um, But if there was um, I think it would have to be something obviously where it's, you're not just kind of retreading the same ground. It's obviously a few years later by the time we make it, it'll be even later again. So you've really kind of got to have a real good look at what's going on um, at the time then. like, like, j- just little things. Like, I mean, we didn't even have TikTok
2: mm-hmm. when we
3: when we did Sissy. So, like, it was even though we never really say what it is that the platform is, it's largely inspired by Instagram.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, what's the next thing, you know? And if it's not only. Sp- social media necessary, like what's the next element of being an influencer, especially when you get to that level? Yeah. Um, how does your life change? And so it would have to be the next step in her evolution as a character as opposed to just a sequel for the sequel's sake, like, oh, next week on Sissy, you know, like it's gotta <laughs> it's gotta it's gotta be like where is she at you, know, five five years later in her life. Um but and- we do
0: agree with you. We think that we've made a, a good origin story that is a nice jump oh, yeah. off point yeah. for yeah. Or a, a sequel well and that
3: that's all that's kind of how we always thought of it we we were always like look like if nothing else let's just approach this like it's an origin story of some form of supervillain. yeah right and yeah. i remember joker came out while like around the time or like while we were writing just before we
2: went
3: to pre. just before we went into pre so like the script was already there and everything and then we we saw that movie and we were just like wow there's a lot of overlap here we're obviously living in an era where it's like um obviously the anti-hero has been a thing since hbo started to make shows uh (laughs) you know like that's been a thing that we've been a lot more um intrigued by than the classic kind of john wayne gunslinger hero but um i would definitely say that you know um uh uh, thinking about kind of where it would go from there like you have to really kind of analyze that idea and and It's kind of like Jokey, you know. That that that's a great origin story. It's a way to um, connect to people in the sense of like um, at the beginning of the film, you relate to the to to him, you relate to Sissy because in some way you're on the same playing field. You're like their stories about underdogs. Mm -hmm. Once they get to that position where they're somewhat elevated. Does it still work as well? I don't know. You know, like in many ways, I think the beauty of Sissy is just seeing someone who's a you and me and kind of going through this crazy weekend and coming out the other end. Yeah. Um, Uh, I guess
1: guess sequels are allowed to go off track a little bit as well. So uh, (laughs) who
3: knows? Yeah, yeah. so, you know, i I'd definitely put a, uh, a TBC on that one. Yeah, yeah. The,
0: cookie, the cookie may crumble that way, but know. <laughs> <don't.
3: laughs> um, I have one final
1: question here, and I end uh, the Cinema Australia podcast with this question uh, with all my guests. Uh, sometimes it throws them a little bit. Other times they have an answer straight away. Um, but have you seen any Australian films lately that have stood out for you that, that you've really enjoyed? Oh, yeah, I'm always... Oh,
0: anxious. I loved... Um,
1: Oh, oh, strange, strange colors!
3: Love strange colors. So good, so good. So
0: talented, and relic.
3: Yeah, yeah relic was great. Relic, yeah. relic was
0: fantastic. We,
3: we loved relic, and relic actually was something where we 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 were like, "Who did the practical effects on that?" Yes. Uh, let's hire them, and that's <laughs> and that's exactly what we did. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, yeah, with with Larry and uh, Scarecrow. Oh,
0: I mean, Baby Teeth was just phenomenal. Oh
3: yes, yeah, Baby absolutely
0: phenomenal. Um, I
3: I always come back. It's an older film, but every time um we talk about a new idea, I always come back to Wake and Fright for some reason. Oh yeah, it, yeah, that's my favorite. That is yeah, my favorite. <laughs> I think I think it's got to be like my favorite Aussie film. Um, yeah, probably one yeah. of my. Top, top 10 films all time. It's um, it, it's just something that we always come back to, especially as like a kind of horror that's not a horror but is a horror. Mm. I feel um, terrible
0: right now because I feel like there are films that I've definitely seen that I've absolutely loved <laughs> and I'm just blanking.
1: You've named some good ones there. I mean, it's always good to bring up Strange Colours because I think more people need to see that movie and it is available on, on streaming services. So... Um, If you haven't seen it, uh, if if there are any listeners out there who haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Um, uh, Hannah and Kane, thank you so much for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. I can't wait to see Sissy again. And you've changed the way that I'll look at uh, Muriel's wedding forever (laughs) going forward. So thanks for that. uh, I I hope we haven't
3: ruined a good thing. No,
1: no. Uh, Thank you very much for joining the Cinema Australia podcast.
0: Thank you so much, Matt. Thanks for your support and your very kind words. We are not worthy, but we appreciate it anyway. Thank you, Matthew.
1: Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Cinema Australia podcast. You can keep up to date with all the latest Australian film news, reviews, features and interviews at cinemaaustralia.com.au.